I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with another installment of Convo by Design Presents West Age Wednesday, a look back at all of the incredible programming from the 2023 edition of the West Edge Design Fair. These conversations were held live on, on the stage crafted by Marve Designs and presented by BR Home. This conversation is entitled Under Construction, Building Communities with Purpose. This chat features actor, producer, and author Melinda Williams, entrepreneur Kinderly Haskins, University of Southern California's Lauren Dandridge, and designer and founder of Blackbird House, Bridget Coulter Cheadle. This talk focuses on the building of actual community through a co-working and event venue called Blackbird House in Culver City, California. This space was crafted to provide a safe and welcoming space for women of color and allies, as they say, to create positive change by providing safe space for collaboration, both virtually and in person. But there's more to it. The why, the how, and how can concepts like these, how can they both enhance the quality of work and quality of life simultaneously? Thank you to Convo by Design partners and sponsors, Thermosol, Moya Living, and Design Hardware for making the podcast possible. And thank you for listening and watching these episodes of the show. Thank you, Bridget, Kinderly, uh, Lauren, and uh, Melinda for participating in this and, and making this conversation so wonderful. For links to all of our partners, guests on this episode, West Edge Design Fair, Marbay, and Be Our Home, please check the podcast show notes for links. And you can find that at convobydesign.com and click on the podcast tab. Thanks for watching and listening. Here's Bridget. Um, thank you, Josh. And, and as he said, again, congratulations on producing this series. Um, I have had the pleasure of knowing you for years, and their uh, conversations always go into impact, purpose, reason, and what design can do, how space nurtures, how you feel, affects your environment. Um, and today we're talking about building with purpose with three incredible women. Um, we have a space called Blackbird, which is a collective for women of color and allies to create positive change. And design is one of the characters in the space. When you walk in, we want you to evoke a feeling. And the incredible part is you hear that intention behind the space that we built repeated by the visitors and the guests and the members. And so as designers, it's always important to understand the underlying experience we want you to have. Um, I am really proud to be here with Lauren Dandridge, Kinderly Haskins, and Melinda Williams. I'm gonna turn it over to them to do introductions and then we'll jump into the conversation. Lauren, please tell us a little bit about your work and um, what you're excited about right now. Oh, right. I Oh, I'm Bridget Coulter Cheadle. I'm an interior designer, uh, and I'm a founder of the Space Blackbird that I spoke about. Uh, she under-introduced herself. I'm pretty sure six of us, uh, or, you know, 18 people just around in this room could tell you how amazing Bridget is and the, uh, the uh, quality entrepreneur that she also is. I think she underserved herself a little bit. Uh, my name is Lauren Dandridge. I am a lighting designer and principal at Chromatic. I also am a professor at USC. I teach lighting design in the School of Architecture. 
We have a research project called Light Privilege, which is very much related to what Bridget is talking about in terms of building communities. Uh, our research is based on lighting, since that's what we do, and that is our area of expertise. So how can we engage communities and support communities with the infrastructural avenue of lighting? Testing. Okay, wonderful. Hi, everyone. I'm Kinderly Haskins, and thank you uh, for having me here today. Thank you, Bridget. Uh, I'm a lifelong hotelier. Um, I have worked at various properties here in Los Angeles. I started my career at Hotel Bel Air at the front desk, and then uh, quickly rose through the ranks uh, to open properties like Casa Del Mar. I worked at Shutters on the Beach. Um, I worked with Auberge Resorts for many years, opening properties like Calistoga Ranch that unfortunately burned down during the fires a couple of years ago, Solage Calistoga, uh, and at Palmetto Bluff, uh, which is a 22,000-acre property in South Carolina, uh, right on the uh, shores of the May River, uh, Esperanza Resort in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, and many others. So um, I was always on the sales and marketing side, a little bit of operations, and then eventually um, with my latest, one of my latest endeavors, which was the H Club, which is now the Astor Club, uh, owned by Stockdale Capital, um, I was general manager and vice president of that project under the late Paul Allen, co-founder of Microsoft. So um, I worked with many architects, many designers on those projects, and um, I'm happy to be here. So we'll explore more of those themes later. So thank you. Melinda. My name is Melinda Williams. I am, as Bridget would say, a recovering actress. <laughs> Um, uh, I am now an entrepreneur, founder, and CEO of my own, well, two businesses, but I just recently founded the Arise and Shine Foundation, um, which is a 501c3 that supports young women, uh, and, and it really is about women's empowerment. And I recently was drawn to um, the Blackbird House, uh, and, you know, I don't believe in co coincidence. I think it's serendipity that, um, and I, uh, every night I come home, tell my husband about some new magical occurrence um, that happened here. I'm probably the only one on this panel who does not have a background in design, but um, design feeds me, it informs me, and um, it is why I'm able to thrive, and I'm so grateful to be on this panel with, with all of you. Thank you, and I, and I want to underscore the idea that we're all creative. We knew that as children, it was nothing that was foreign to us, and we express it in different ways, and I think creativity is such an important mindful thing to curate in your life. And here we're talking about building with purpose, and I want to start with you, Lauren. Um, I met Lauren back in graduate school, and we were very happy to see each other um, and, and really became friends. And one of the things that's really incredible is your work. And we can put the photo of Blackbird up. Can we put the photo of Blackbird up? Uh-oh, I think you can. <laughs> Hello. Sound. Blackbird photo. Can we put that up? Um, so we're, these, we're here with members and partners of Blackbird. Um, and we have this beautiful industrial chic space. And lighting. Uh, Lauren worked with us on the lighting. Uh, there's a plane taking off. We might wait a second. We're, we're in an active airport. We definitely are. <laughs> it sounds like it's taking off. We'll wait a second. Yes. Um, 
And, and one of the incredible things I learned about from Lauren was equity in lighting. And we don't think about that. We don't think about what lighting means. So when we work together on Blackbird, we're really thinking, how do you want to use the space, the layers? Can you talk a little bit about what you did with Blackbird in terms of lighting, what your thought process is in workspace, especially our workspaces, which wants to feel like home and nurturing, but also feel productive. Can you talk a little bit about that? We can get into equity a little later, sure. but I, I wanted to bring that up. Sure. So from a design standpoint, I think for a lot of years, lighting hasn't actually been very homey in office spaces. Lighting has a surprising amount of um, importance in terms of productivity. And when you look at all the research that comes out specifically about lighting in office spaces or in laboratories or surgically, it's all about making sure it's consistent so we're not distracting the human. Like we want the human to sit, work, you know, deploy resources and produce something, right? You're producing a, an article, you're, you know, filling out TPS reports or whatever they are. And that's the goal, but that's not how we are meant to be. If you spent every day outside, the light would be constantly changing. The sun is never still. Clouds are moving. The sun is moving. Trees are casting shadows. Things are always interrupting your eyesight. And to be in a place that is so monotone and monotonous from a visual standpoint is very hard. And so for Blackbird, we always talk about wanting to have layers. We want to be able to curate the spaces for each of the events that are going to happen for the members that are renting the individual units, uh, um, offices. We want to be able to have yoga. We want to be able to have wellness. We want to be able to like have a party. We want to electric slide up and down the aisle. You know, like those are the things that we want to be able to do. And the lighting has to match and be supportive of those items. So really, Blackbird is about layers, much like people. So, you know, we have layers for big ambient light like this. We have lights, you know, for more curated, more nuanced and focused events. So it's all about layers. Can I, can I just yes, say please. something here um, that I think, you know, we're, we're living in a whole new time of, I need to look good on that Zoom call. You know what I mean? I'm also creating content constantly. Yesterday we did a live, and there are so many spaces in, um, in Blackbird that I, I, I had my pick. I was like, I can use that corner, I can use my office, I can go outside. And so the, the lighting that you have created also mil makes me feel good in the space. It's just another point of feeling good about the work that I do and what I'm projecting out into the world. And um, it, it adds to my confidence in, in my job. Thank you for sharing that. And um, to kind of piggyback on that, uh, purpose. Again, we're talking about building with purpose. The work that you do, the uh, inspiration behind your work, and also you are, uh, you trained yourself to code. I did. To code. I, I taught myself how to code. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, and I want to talk about that from a, because it is a design, right? Code is a language. And and AI, you have work in AI, and, and we're, there's so much about equity in this. Can you talk a little bit about why coding and then what you see and what your interests are in AI and how these all are interconnected. So for my entire career, and I guess somewhere along the way, when I um, probably when I started working on the TV series Soul Food, that's when all of the, um, I am a black woman working in a world and in, in, in an industry that doesn't think 
of me or consider me first. And so it's interesting that you mentioned lighting because I remember we had a DP on soul food that was like, we can't use this typical lighting that the rest of the industry is using. We have to give you an amber cast. We have to make you look, you know, make the melanin pop. And so, um, so that's when I under really understood my responsibility as a black woman to represent um, my culture in a way that was authentic. Coding came about, um, I guess, I wanna say maybe accidentally. Um, I just was in a space in my life where I needed to learn something new that I also knew I needed to teach to my community and to other black women um, really about how to uh, see yourself in the future, see yourself as a part of the conversation. It didn't come till later where we were really having this talk or this conversation about having a seat at the table. But that's when I understood, oh, I, I have been working, learning these new languages, seeing myself in the future, not as at necessarily having a seat at the table, but contributing to creating the table. Because I knew that that was very important. And, and speaking of future, that is AI. We're talking about AI and design. What can it do? But one thing that we know is it can't replace the human soul, the inspiration. It should be used as a tool to support innovation right. and help us progress, do things more efficiently, take away some of the tasks. But there's so much fear around it. And you know, I've been in a lot of conversations about this, and I don't think it'll take anything from us as long as we're mindful and remember why we're using it. There are different concerns with AI, which we'll do in a different conversation. Um, but what you said, and then bring it back to what you said about lighting, I can't underscore how important that is. At Blackbird, our stage lights have seven different settings. And they are, there's one that can kind of take darker skins and lighter skins and create a middle, and most of them have this peach undertone, which melanated skin looks better in. So we knew that when we were picking lighting at our space, that it's inclusive because inclusivity isn't always just natural right. to the thought process until we have seats at the table. And you know what starts that? Having somebody who knows to look for it, that having that perspective in the room to say, hey, you know what, this. Oh, that's important. So, you know, everybody gets very uncomfortable when you start saying, check this box, put this here. But if we don't put the person there, if we don't force the conversation to happen, it's very hard for that exploration to continue beyond that. And, so and we true. all look better. Like everyone, <laughs> I, I'm not the darkest black woman. And it, the lighting does affect, it helps us all feel better and great. And I want to turn to Kinderly for a second. Kinderly, you could have a PhD in hospitality. Um, you literally, as you discussed, you have no idea the, the level of work that she does, the integrity. And in the consulting business, you still do for multiple brands. And because you sit in this exclusive seat, you are able to bring those conversations. Can you talk a little bit about the purpose and community behind the work you do in large, large, large brands and, and clubs? Sure, thank you, Bridget. Um, it's, it, I do want to add something to the lighting conversation, though, quickly. Um, years ago, before I even knew about lighting, other than the hotel world, but I remember watching on an Oprah Winfrey show, she had Barbara Streisand on the show. And uh, Barbara said, wow, your lighting is incredible. And, right, right? And, and uh, Oprah was like, yeah, I had to get someone in here to get this thing going my, you know, because she remembers the early days of the Oprah Winfrey show when you know, she wasn't lit as well. 
And then later on, as she learned the, you know, she came to understanding, she hired the right team. Lighting was important so that everyone on stage, whether you were Oprah Winfrey or Barbara Streisand, who was sitting next to her, could look good. So I just wanted to add that. That was my first foray into the, into the lighting world, was hearing it on Oprah's show. But, but I do want to say um, thank you for that introduction. You know, being in the hotel world, uh, a lot of times things are done intentional. Uh, before you even get there. Um, they want to set a mood, a tone, uh, so that when guests arrive, you don't know why you feel the way that you feel when you're in that space, but someone thought of that for you. And um, again, starting on the sales and marketing side, you know, we were tasked with selling and revenue and you know, how it was going to be perceived to the world. But as I got into more the operations side and started working with architects, from the ground up and interior designers and lighting designers. Um, you know, the community that we set was to appeal to all. Um, but each part of the building, you know, whether you're in a bedroom, you want to, you know, evoke a certain emotion there. Um, if you're in a public space, if you're in the theater of this building, you want a certain uh, environment that mimics an AMC or something like that. Um, if you're in the entertainment space, you want that vibe. So I think that when you're building hotels, when you're building clubs, um, you know, we really have to think about each and every room that someone's going to go into and what that's gonna make them feel like and re how they're gonna react in that space and also operate in that space because we have a job to do, um, whether you are a singer on stage, whether you're in the spa, um, we want a zen-like atmosphere. So one thing I always say about hotels is that they're like cities. Um, you know, they are really cities. They're these micro cities. You have bedrooms, you have restaurants, you have kitchens. How does the kitchen feel to the chef? Um, I've had the fortunate, uh, two of the hotels that I've worked with have Michelin-starred restaurants, um, and there's an intention behind them uh, when you are in them. So uh, that's been my experience. Now on the consulting side, uh, it, you know, I'm on the ground up, so I'm working with the architects. Um, you know, making sure that it has all of the elements to make the, the, the building go, um, from the back of the house for the employees to the front of the house for the guests, but also how are we going to power it? Um, what's that technology look like? Um, you know, from the time you check in, how the doors are gonna be powered from the front desk, the keys, all of those things, the CRM systems. So again, the one thing I've gained in my hotel experience is that you're building a city. Uh, within a you know with a, a city environment and everything has to be intentional. That's really interesting. That's great. And, and you know how you find places that you go to and you want to keep you feel it. You want to keep experience experiencing that that kind of magic that we create. We uh, at Blackbird we say Blackbird magic a lot. And and essentially it's that idea that you come in and you feel seen. You feel in the, the intention behind it we talked about earlier. Um, and you talked about experience. In terms of purpose and community, is there anything that you've seen in your world? You have this, with your foundation, she throws this incredible luncheon where the women come and are empowered and seen. And you created an incredible experience in a ballroom that was just a traditional ballroom, but you brought that magic. So you are a designer. And what did you, what were you thinking? And what was the purpose? Because I know your purpose was community, but what were the elements that you brought into that that you're so, you should be very proud of? 
Thank you, thank you. Well, I, we do what we need, right? We create what we need. And um, having been in, this in, in, the, in the entertainment industry for over 40 years, um, I knew that... Since she was 12. <laughs> 10, 5, 5, 5. Yeah, five. something like that. Um, I, I have always seen these, you know, where people are giving, we're giving each other awards and accolades and it's like, there's so many of us who are doing some wonderful work and we all deserve to be honored and feel valued. And then there just came this time, particularly in 2019 and in 2020, where we were all kind of feeling the exhaustion of the world, you know, whatever that meant whatever, to each individual. And I said, you know what, I need to create a space for where women can celebrate each other and feel celebrated. And I had, you know, right before that I had, cre I had written a book, um, The Game of Life and How to Slay It, and I, I published an affirmation card deck. And the reason why I put those things out into the world was because those were things that I needed to to feel seen for myself. So I created my own little, I feel seen for myself. And then the women's empowerment brunch was, well, you know what? It's really, I'm designing an experience more than anything. Flowers, you know, you have a beautiful set here, a beautiful stage. Um, so all those different components go into somebody knows I like this soft thing and that makes me feel good. Somebody knows I like music and that feels good. I feel seen. Somebody knows I like good lighting. All of those elements, when you bring them into the room, make you feel good. And from there, that becomes a platform from which you can be successful. So that's basically why I do it. That's beautiful. And, and you know, we're talking about community space and, and purpose, but this is something that, as an interior designer, I create experiences for people's homes. And if, if you're doing your home, you can think about those same things. What do you want to feel? We talk about adjacencies, like how do I want to enter the house and where do I want to want it to take me? What feeling do I want to have in these rooms? The same thing applies to your home design. So if you have a great design team or you have a great aesthetic, you can do it yourself. But what experiences do you want to have? And don't be shy. I always want people, obviously I'm here in a bright green dress. I want you to feel like you're putting you into your home. And I want you to feel like when you're going into to community that I've designed or that I'm part of the team on that you feel seen in that team. And it's about inclusivity. We are a space centered on women of color and allies. And that conversation coming out of this profound experience that Melinda is, is speaking to that we all know is essential for us to move forward as a society. And so uh, again, we're getting our plane. Where are we going, y'all? Don't we all, right. does anyone else feel like they need a trip right now? <laughs> Definitely. Yes. I, I do have a, a question uh, yes. for you, Bridget, if I may. Yes, you may. So you, we've all been to the, the Blackbird house and, and yeah, someone asked me last night, they were like, um, they were like, where do you live? I was like, I live here um, because I feel so comfortable. I feel, I feel so much like it's my home away from home. And I, I just want to understand from you because it's such a very unique space. I've been in other co-working spaces. I just want to understand from you how you knew all those different elements, the colors, the texture, the lighting, the, the sound, you've touched every point 
in my senses that make me feel like, oh, I can do what I need to do, or I can relax. Which might also be what you need to do. That's yeah. That's right. That's right. And I'll say, as a designer, I try to be very vulnerable and personal. And it was a, this particular space was a space that I created because I also needed it at a deep level. I needed a community. And, you know, there's statistics we can talk about. The data is very alarming. The less than 3% or only 3% of the interior designers in the United States are black. And so with those statistics, you can understand why there may not be as much diversity in design as there needs to be, which is what I appreciate about Josh. We have these conversations all the time. We'll talk later about his project, but you should look up his Tulsa project because it's incredible. And he is walking the walk. And that's why I appreciate this friend right there. But for me with Blackbird, it was a personal pilgrimage to something that was this intention, this this feeling behind my knees that I needed to take my design talents, my community building talents, my art collecting talents, and put them together in a space as a calling, as a, as a place to say, let's do something different. Let's do something meaningful. When you walk into Blackbird, we say, welcome home. And that is resonating truth. Like what we need is to feel that sense of home. Wars are started because of place and home. We know that, and it is essential that we put something positive. Our communities are ravaged with a lot of dis discourse, and um, not discourse, but a, a lot of issues that come from the way something was designed at the core. And so to shift it, especially those of us who are designers in this room, your talents, your architecture. I have a friend in the audience right now who does architecture for schools. And he is always thinking about if you start at the school level and you make sure you're creating that sense of play and connection and community, it's not just a, a nice thing to check off your box. It is essential for all of us. So Blackbird is this, first I thought I was, I thought I was creating a, a community theater Turns out it wasn't. Um, but that idea that it's a storytelling studio, a place where you share your story one-on-one, -on -one, you present it in front of a group of 50, and that this culture of, of change happens with because of the purpose. So thank you for sharing that. And that's what goes into it. And I don't know all the time. It's following your intuition and letting it take you. I say that as a designer, a homeowner, a commercial, a, anything that you're doing, your purpose you have to leap into it and, and, and move forward with it and then learn from them. I've made so many design mistakes that I feel like, oh, I'm an ex expert on mistakes, but they're actually opportunities to learn something else. So that space, again, we resonate. We're both, as she said, recovering actresses. So we probably created the space for each other and the magical way you came in from this magnetic pull that happens when you're doing that um, and all the work that everyone's doing in their home um, is important. So, sure. I want to go back to you were talking about how when you create an experience, you know, people can feel seen. The byproduct of that is that it also opens people up. That's right. And so that's how community gets built. You create supportive, engaging spaces, and then people are willing to step into them and then start to share and start to connect. Bridget, at um, Blackbird, there was a, a breakfast lunch that we went that you had with you know women on the second floor. 
And I just sat down at a table. I knew nobody else there. We just started talking, and now I'm on a text communication with three or four of them. One of them is like, you need to write a book. And I'm like, about what? And then, you know, she's like, but you can do it. And I was like, but do what? And, you know, just the level of support and community that came about just as a result of you being vulnerable and willing to interrogate your own thoughts and needs for a space. That's right. That's right. And laying a path for other women to come into the space and then do the same thing. So that's the other part about creating experiences and also staying true to yourself and being very intentional with the curation of those spaces. And you do that as well, Kimberly. with the hotel process, you have to be more general public, but you still have, and I've been able to visit your spaces. I met you at a, a place you were at many, many years ago. Um, and, and you're still able to, even though there's a general public feel to these high-end properties that you're part of, there is community baked into that, and I know you're a huge part of it. You're on women's organizations, you're in incredible groups, you're building community in many places. What does that mean for you, and how do you infuse that into the designs that you help other teams curate? Well, I think, you know, one of the things, keeping with one of the themes about building communities, um, you know, when we built Age Club, um, you know, I went to London, I learned the club business, which is different, a little bit different than the hotel business. Um, in London, you throw a rock and you can hit a club in any corner. Um, but I went to places like Annabelle's and Five Hertzford, and these are the high-end clubs. We had the H Club, which, is the, which was named the Hospital Club because uh, Paul Allen and Dave Stewart, Paul Allen bought uh, an old hospital and converted it into a private members club. Um, so you had to take this place that was very sterile, but we built a museum, we had a, uh, a studio, a recording studio, and a lot of well-known names from Mick Jagger and others had recorded in this space. But I say that bringing that back home, one of the things we had to do in building this community was um, we had to have a board. And from day one, because we were going to serve all people, um, on our advisory board, and this group of people were responsible for how the, the club was gonna be populated. And um, we intentionally, from our founding, founding members, we had a diverse group of people. So it wasn't like an afterthought of like, oh, I need more black people, or I need more Latinos, or I need the LGBTQ community. We had them from day one. And it wasn't because, oh, you're this, it's just they fit into the community naturally. So with that, you know, when we were working with our architect and we were working with our design team, um, the spaces were created for everyone. And again, using that theme of the warm spaces, hotels, clubs, that's naturally where they kind of go. Um, I remember when um, I was part of the opening team for Casa Del Mar, and that's uh, uh, Tommy and Eddie Slack can own that property. And I remember how, just how intentional they were about, that's where I really kind of learned about the lighting um, in terms of how they lit the space. Um, you know, at that time, you know, I'd say the 90s to the early 2000s, um, you were starting to see hotels become the gathering places again. Uh, for a long time, people had gotten away from going to hotels to dine and things like that. Other than places like the Beverly Hills Hotel, um, which always, the Polo Lounge was famous for that. But, you know, people just didn't go to hotels to hang out. So, you know, through the spaces that they created at Cheddar's on the Beach, Casa del Mar, that big lobby, I remember them laying every um, tile in the staircase that went up to the grand lobby. But, you know, 
hotels became home again, using your term, for a lot of people. Going later on into the resort world, again, resorts are meant for you to feel like it's your home away from home. So I was able to be a student and kind of study, um, you know, how things are built, how they make you feel. Uh, but more importantly, by the time I was leading a team that was building a big 100,000 square foot club with 35 bedrooms and two, you know, a big rooftop, two kitchens, all of these things, uh, a pool area. Um, I understood more about the concept of building this community and what it meant, you know, not just from our standpoint, but how the community would receive it. And I love how you did that, bringing in so many different points of view and really, especially if you need to address and, and community need to connect with multiple people and not a niche community, yes. that's really important that all the voices are in there, which is why if you ever had a chance to walk into the H Club, you felt like, oh, this is my rich uncle's best best house yeah. that I'm visiting. Yeah. I was, I was going to yeah. say, when I go to a resort, I don't think this is my home away from home. I'm like, this is so much better than my home. <laughs> like, nobody travels to go stay in their own house. Like... I want to be in a place better than my home, so I have something to aspire to when I go back. Yeah. Uh, I will say this, my, the snob appeal in me, you know, when I was with Aubert's Resorts, um, and at the time that was owned by the Harmon family, and when you walk into places like Aubert's du Soleil, and you have your own individual cottage, or you have your casita at Esperanza, where you're, it's your own space, uh, the cottages at the inn at Palmetto Bluff in South Carolina, where you have your own little cottage and you have a bicycle that's outside. Um, it, it, it's like your own home. So it, it does it does feel better, um, but it still feels homey because we don't want I it to be I pretend like it is my home. I'm like, this is my new house. <laughs> and I got room service and somebody makes my bed. This is amazing. How do I get that in my house, though? <laughs> and we're talking about experiences, right? We're talking about excellence. And one thing that I know about every woman on this stage right now is the work they do is so excellent. And one of the privileges and honors of me starting Blackbird five years ago was the 1,000 people that I've been able to have conversations with that are doing incredible work, whether it's serving a small community or a nonprofit that's doing health equity. Um, can you talk a little bit, each of you, you know, popcorn in at your own when, when something inspires you, but can you talk about excellence and what that means to you and why you strive for it and you have achieved it in so many ways? Well, I, I will go here. Um, I just, you know, my foundation is brand new, right? And, and, and again, goes back to feeling a responsibility um, for my toward my community, but also specifically, I know that the way I've been able to be successful is because so many have poured into me and have helped me up. So I started this foundation going, well, I'm gonna pour back into specifically young um, black women. And so my, my foundation, the Arise and Shine Foundation, and, and I have to come from the experience that I know. That's just the only way I, I know how to do. It's like, what, how can I, like you said, take all these little things that I've been doing, none of them are little, by the way, um, all the things that I've been doing over the years and, and bring them into a, a holding for sound. <laughs> How can I take all of those experiences and then make them into an experience that is enriching um, and in a way that is giving back to, um, to those that I serve? 
And so um, the Arise and Shine Foundation, our first project is the Esteem Project. And Esteem is for um, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. But the E on the, on the front is for excellence and empowerment and whatever it is you need, experience. Um, but also giving the, giving the young women a foundation that is built or grounded in self-esteem. So it's a play on words for me. Um, and it's what I know how to do. I know how to encourage and empower and uplift. And because I had the experience of not only going through it, but seeing what it looks like to be helped through it. Uh, so that's, and, 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 it's, and it's a thing that just com compels me every day. It like literally gets me out of the bed every morning at five. Get up and go do this thing. And I can't, I, I'm sure you know, because I'm sure Blackbird compels you and your work and your work compels you in the same way. But when you've had such a rich, um, blessed experience, and then you get an opportunity to show someone else um, or help someone else have a rich, blessed experience, you just, I can't even tell you how exciting it is for me to be doing this work. Yeah, it, it's very evident. Thank you. Kinderly Art. Hmm. Well, I think for me, um, you know, what, what informs me are those that are around me. A lot of my friends, uh, including some on this stage, uh, they're excellent at what they do. All of you are. And so I always try and surround myself with the smartest people in the room. Uh, the brightest, uh, every day is a learning experience. And so, you know, being a follower as well as being a leader, um, which you have to be good at both, um, I just strive for the best. Um, I want to learn from the best. And, you know, knowledge and education is never over. I learn every single day. Um, I'm constantly learning things, Googling about something, reading all the different things that come up on my phone feed every morning around the world. So I think it's just, you know, I just strive for excellence every day because I'm surrounded by excellence. I'm surrounded by excellent things and people, such as the women on the stage. So um, that's what informs my, my, my brain every day is, and, and you know, Bridget and I have had a chance to work together and you know, sometimes it's just, if you see somebody needs something, then you offer it, you know, you know that there's a gap. So let's fill it with this type of person or this type of situation. So um, that's, that's it. You wanna be better. Uh, quite frankly, Earl and Irene Dandridge poured a lot into me and they, and Robin also, and I, I don't have the privilege to not fulfill those expectations and exceed them. I did not come all the way from Baltimore to just be mediocre. That's right. Like, you did not. period. Secondly, as a professor, I am supposed to be an example, you know, to students to see here's the place where you can go if you choose, right? Here is academia. And then here is a practitioner who has a practice who's doing all these things. So if I am not presenting excellence to them, this is how you communicate effectively. This is how you present yourself or this is a manner in which you can present yourself. Here's why what we do is important. Here's why what we need to do needs to be grounded in excellence. Then I have missed the opportunity for younger people to be their best selves and carry excellence with them as they graduate on or continue on into academia or you know become whatever they want to be. So 
you know, in some ways it doesn't feel like a choice, and in some ways when you don't have a choice, it just becomes what is. I think that there's so many thoughts I have about this, actually. And one thing I want to kind of take excellence and talk about, and then we'll go into, if anyone has questions, we'll go into questions. Um, we have a few more minutes here, um, is equity. And we touched on it a little bit um, in terms of lighting, and I want to start there. But we're talking about building with purpose, community, and equity as something we all need. Yes, there are four black women sitting on stage, but this is a global, a national, a global, a community, a local essence that we need to be going for. So I want to talk kind of about the design, and I'm, I'm super intrigued with lighting and color temperature um, and how that affects communities, especially any of you who are designing community spaces. Can we talk a little bit about equity, especially as it goes to exterior lighting in communities versus what you might find in another neighborhood? Sure. So Bridget is referring to a project that we started at my firm called Light Privilege. And what where it started is from the exhaustion of 2020 and feeling like I was not able to give enough to the black community. Like there, I have two boys and I was like, black men are dying. I was like, what am I doing with myself? Lighting is the dumbest thing that I've ever dedicated my life to, you know, just like laying on the floor in despair and, you know, just like, I am not being a good black person. And, <laughs> And, you know, after calming down for a moment, just thinking about, okay, well, you know, I can't become, you know, anything other than myself. So how can I use the tools that I have to be most effective? I am a lighting designer. I see the world in this particular way. And then starting to really look at, okay, well, you know, all of these people are having these interactions with police outside. They're having them in their neighborhoods. They're having them off of freeways. They're having them outside of stores how did that environment get like that to allow that to happen, right? Because there's different, there are places where you just kind of know that that's not gonna happen and, and we can go into that later. But okay, so I can't become a police officer, I can't become a black man, so what can I do to create supportive environments that allow safety to mean more to everyone? And, you know, everyone, tends to think that brighter spaces, brighter streets are safer. That's not true. Because the counterpoint is, well, if it's super dark, of course I can't see danger coming. That, I can't deny that. So taking a project of saying, okay, well, if I go to a certain community that has an HOA, that has really good government representation, that has money, that has resources, what does that environment look like? And if I strip those away, what does this environment look like over here? I mean, there's tons of master planned communities that will have one kind of effect, and there's plenty of urbanists who can tell you effects of like why neighborhoods look the way that they do. But I'm specifically looking at it from a lighting standpoint because lighting is the taken for granted utility that we all have outside. Like when you go outside, you expect the street lights to be on, right? When you go outside you, or inside, you expect to be able to see. And part of the, this whole research is how do we create environments that are supportive to the communities that inhabit them? Right. Not good lighting, not bad lighting, not good design even, but how are they just supportive? Because good and bad are two very binary terms that allow for not a lot of nuance and understanding but we wanna create supportive spaces like Blackbird, like many other different uh, ally spaces and 
what does that mean when you are trying to funnel it through a behemoth-like government? Because street lighting is part of a utility which is owned by a different entity than the government, but the government is regulating it, but the, but the utility has to like still cater to the people, but only if the people has representations in the government. So this incredibly um, complex system is actually very rarely thinking about design as much as they are thinking about execution. How do we get it done? Well, getting it done quickly and inexpensively very rarely leads to quality design and, and very little forethought about the effects afterwards. So that's our research project. So there's lots of, we read a lot of articles. We're working with a couple neighborhood organizations to try and figure out how to revitalize different main streets. What do those business owners need? What, do the, what does the community want? And sometimes the answer isn't even lighting, sadly. I like to think lighting is always the answer. But so many times, you know, a design problem isn't the actual thing, it's the thing around it. You can't see well, well maybe the trees need to be pruned. You can't sit outside, well maybe you need more trees because it's you know, hot as hell sitting on, you know, out on your stoop. Maybe the community isn't supported and activated at night because there's no space for anyone to sit, so you need benches. Maybe your city is you know, not activated because you need trash cans, because people are throwing trash on the street because there's no maintenance. So a lot, of, a lot of the issues we're talking about are actually caused by indirect or side issues. So that's, to cycle it back, that's our approach to trying to figure out equity from our little corner of the shop, which is how can we create supportive, engaged, and activated environments that support that specific community. And it's important. So I like thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Do you want to say, look like no, you No, 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 I was just saying I like that. That's yeah, I, I think we don't think about uh, when we're in community or we're driving outside how much thought went to that. Essentially, the core of what we're talking about when you're building for purpose is really thinking, one, what is your purpose in building that? And if we want to create a more equitable uh, equal, equanimitable world, what does that look like and how do we do that? Do you want to talk, and, and then is, if anyone has a question, please raise your hand um, and we'll ask that. And I don't know if you have any last thoughts you want to say about equity and what you've seen in the work that you're doing, either Melinda or Kinderly, not essential. But. I'm sorry, I, I, I missed that part. Oh, no problem. If there's anything you want to say about uh, design, equity, building, um, you don't have to, but if there's any thoughts you've had, especially talking about either lighting, design, space. I can talk a little bit from my purpose. Um, I really think about how we interact and how we interact for positive, really create space. And then sometimes it's a more intimate space and a space made for smaller groups to really connect. So as you're thinking about, even in your home design, where do you nurture? Where do you go and you, you gather and like want to huddle up and then where do you go and you want to expand and dream so making sure in the spaces you're designing or the spaces you exist in that you're giving yourself a full experience whether it's in your own apartment it's in your house or it's in the work that you do well I don't know about I don't know about you all but <laughs> this has been very illuminating pun intended for me um, in that even as I go forward in creating this, this first project, embarking on this first project that my foundation will stand up in uh, 2024, you know, sometimes I get caught in the, do we really need lighting? Because it's just another expense. And, you know, the sunlight is there, so the light, the room is bright and it'll be fine. But I'm now thinking differently. I'm now thinking differently in... Um, how can I add a layer of um, 
inclusivity and feeling safe and feeling seen into the experience um, that, I, that, I am, that I'm creating. And it's not just the pretty of it. It is the what feeling is it evoking and then, you know, and again, and not to be funny or make it into a joke, but if my melanin is popping, <laughs> seriously, if my melanin is popping when I go to take that selfie, then I know the world, not just the world on the other side of that camera, but the world in the room next to me, like, sis, your melanin is popping and it's making me feel good because it's a reflection. Probably making me look good too. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. Your, and basking in your glow, yeah. And so if you're creating that experience where you want everyone in the room to feel that glow, yeah. then you have, to, um, you have to consider that. So I appreciate even uh, what I'm learning. You're making Lauren so happy. <laughs> we work on design right. projects together, and by the time we get to lighting and furniture, they've run out of money. So everyone's right. just like, okay, how much can I buy that sofa? Yeah. Uh, we're kind of the last, because we'll work on full ground up projects, and we get to us and just like, okay, can we go over to just that box store and get something? We're like, no. Right. <laughs> um, well, can I add, add something? So I'd like to say, you know, I'm privileged to have seen the things and work with the teams that I have and, and uh, having been exposed. You know, but I, I'd like to give to the designers in the group, certainly on stage, our creators, um, you know, designing and what you all do is incredibly difficult to create these spaces. And oftentimes if you're in someone's home, um, to make them feel like it's theirs and you're opening up their... Uh, personalities to this space. Um, you know, a lot of people now use designers in their homes. But, you know, I, I also see this homogenous uh, type of design going on now with the kind of DIY effect and everything is beige and everything looks the same and the sofas are the same and the lighting's the same. And, you know, um, one of the things I saw was this beautiful uh, light piece up here and I was like, oh, that's really interesting. But you know what you all do is incredibly important to how we feel every day, um, and I think that people don't realize that. You know, like we walk into a space and we don't realize it's intentional, intentionally made to to make you feel. And so with this whole like everything looking the same and just plug and play, I hate it. <laughs> it's like it, it's like right. I I I don't like it. It's it's, it's in everyone's with you. doing the same. Everyone's dressing the same. Everyone's homes look the same. I look on TV. Everything looks the same when you see these you know things on YouTube. And um, so for those creators in the room and on the panel today, you know, congratulations for the world that you create the lighting that you create. I know in my neighborhood in Westwood, we have these wonderful old-fashioned lamps oh, yeah. that are uh, all throughout our neighborhood in Holmby Hills and Westwood and, you know, a lot of those neighborhoods and it, it adds character. And I think in a lot of our design world today, it lacks character, it lacks something, you know? Um, and so, you know, again, to the creators and to my panel, you know, congratulations for the work that you do and making you. things Just, feel better. Do we have any questions, anyone? Yes. Hi. Um, thank you all for putting on this panel. It was very engaging and I learned a lot. I think my question is to Lauren, who was talking about community development and lighting. How do you get communities to buy into that? Because in a lot of communities of color, you, it's, there's not a lot of places to gather and because of, like you said, the benching, the lighting, and all these factors, but many of these communities of colors have a million other things 
to worry about than these things. So how do you get that undermined that, hey, maybe perhaps if there's more gathering spots and more places where you can, you feel that sense of community, it, it will start improving? Because as you said, you have the lighting in Westwood. In a lot of communities in like South Central LA, there's no, no features that makes people feel like they belong or a sense of home. It's like you go there and you leave. I will say one thing and then I'll let Lauren speak to it. it. Advocating for the community, making sure you're going to the funding that come, is usually governmental that'll come or city or local and there's a talk about taxes, but really thinking about how are our tax dollars spent to light our communities, to design um, and that is an entire ecosystem of how we're building communities, but that a lot of that it will be advocating and making sure you're loud and you're going, you're at, because those communities that have time and resources will get the reaction. I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Sure, so I, it's, it's a couple of things, right? Like one of it is just knowledge. Like street lights feel like something you don't have a choice over, right? It just kind of is, it's kind of like your road. Like, oh, I can complain because there's a pothole, so we shouldn't fix it. Oh, I can complain because the street light is, you know, out. But how your neighborhood feels, it is incumbent upon the people in that to gather together and voice dissent, really. Because a lot of the way that neighborhoods, particularly in South LA and other, you know, I would say traditionally labeled disadvantaged communities get dealt with, is it is an execution of task as opposed to a choice and intentional development. And, like, this street needs to be lit, period. Okay, so we're gonna put a 25-foot pole up in the air that's, you know, maybe 10 or 20,000 lumens, which is the amount of light coming out of it, and we're gonna make this one light do the job of like 16 other different layers, right? But if you're just walking down the average street to somebody who's walking in to like go get a sandwich, they're not thinking, I'm being, this glare from this light is bothering me and I can't fit, read the menu. They're, you know, it, it's just not part of it. However, where it does manifest is why isn't there like a farmer's market that starts here on Saturday and goes into the early evening? Or why isn't there, you know, uh, movie nights in this park? Well, because the environment is not supporting that kind of engagement. So when I talk about that, I'm talking about like activation. How do we get people interested in activating their neighborhood? Because they have to express an interest in it. And then how can we as the design community support that vision, not our own? And then thirdly, how can we get government funds, dollars, et cetera, to support said vision from an informed client base? Now, none of that is easy and requires a multitude of layers. There's a language issue, not in terms of like educated or not educated, but like if I asked everybody in here to tell me about the lighting in their house, there's not probably one technical lighting term that's gonna get said to me, but I have to understand and interpret that and then be able to convert it into something technical so that when, you know, Bureau of Street Lighting looks at me like, well, how do you want us to do this? They're, I can't go to, you know, LA Lights and be like, yeah, my man, they just want it homey you know, out here on the street, like I have, to, I have to interpret that into something real. So between letting the community know they have choices and how to describe those, coordinating with a professional team or group or consultants that can develop those ideas, getting the funding from the government, which is supposed to be acting in, you know, 
as a result of the voice of the people to create their environment so that they can thrive. Imagine if government allowed communities to thrive. Right, because the opposite of thinking of something and designing with intent is designing with negligence. Can I add something there? Yeah. One of the, uh, years ago when uh, The Grove was being developed, and I remember reading the intention behind the design, um, everyone loves going to Europe, okay? And a lot of European design is built, especially if you go to Italy, you know, the piazzas, the squares, um, these small little vignettes and pockets where people can gather. So one of the reasons why The Grove um, and later on, I think the Americana and Glendale, but one of the reasons why they became so popular is because they led to that old world mentality that people didn't even realize that they were feeling, um, they, they had an affinity towards. And the Grove is built like an old fashioned European square. It's lit like that, people gather there. And so when you look at that, you know, something was done intentionally to make you feel a certain way, but you didn't realize it. And it really emotes back to Europe, where squares, people where they gather, how things feel, the fountains. It, it, that's what that design plan was built like. So again, if we go in with these individual communities and kind of redesign them with purpose so that people feel like they have, to what you said, a gathering area, a gathering spot, um, that's how we need to go in, how it's lit, how it makes people feel, and will they gather there? That's, yeah. that's it. We want to be community. That gets back to the community Absolutely. aspect. Absolutely. And join those community boards. Those RFPs come out, and then a committee's done. Show up at the local level. That's where the change happens. And I learned a lot of that from showing up at these events and going to design shows and fairs. And I'm, comp I'm very shy. I'm an introvert, but I'm, I love talking to cool people, so I put myself in these positions. But it's for that very reason. Show up in the the circles that your product can show up in or your design work and, and join, join organizations, a research, look on the internet. You know, we have so many resources that come to us uh, and, and just risk, speaking of vulnerability, risk sign of saying, I have this thing. And one of the things we talk about here is like needing help. There is so much room for everyone. There's so much value and beauty that happens when I learn about a product I didn't know and the reason behind it, because the core of it is storytelling. We're all trying to tell our stories, whether it's a rug company or a ceramics or a, an organization, we want to share our stories. And so the core of what we're talking about and why I say we're a storytelling studio is we're a story making studios. We're making, we're telling the stories of the past, we're living the stories of the present, and we're fostering the stories of the future. And I know that's esoteric, but it is the truth of what we do as human beings. It's what designing community with purposes, designing spaces with purposes. And I know we, we have to wrap up, but I, I just really thank you all for coming to take time to listen to this conversation. Please follow all of these wonderful women. And I thank you, Lauren and Kinderly and Melinda for joining me on this stage. And if you have any questions about Blackbird, that's our beautiful building in Culver City. And that picture doesn't do it justice because the interiors, <laughs> Thank the you, warm John. lights and the lighting and everything in there and the different vignettes that she's built upstairs, downstairs, it's very layered and textured. So great job, Bridget.